0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Marr Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to
1: Trek FM.
0: Hello, and welcome to... Season 6, Episode 2 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is the first part in a new series, which we're doing on Harv Bennett, the producer of Star Trek's 2 through 5, as well as the creator of numerous television shows and podcasts Producer of numerous television shows and writer of numerous television shows, and also the writer of numerous Star Trek movies. He does it all. Yeah. The man who saved Star Trek. One of the many men not who an saved understatement.
1: Star Trek. Definitely not an understatement to say that. Yeah. And uh, he. I'm recently... sorry. Definitely not an overstatement to say that.
0: Yes. Yes, that's, that's accurate. And uh, he recently passed away the same week as as Leonard Nimoy. Uh, which is very disappointing. And we figured that we should take a look at his career um, as a sort of tribute to him. So we're going to be looking at all of the television shows which he created. um, And some interesting titles in there, to be sure. Yeah. But just like every time we do one of these series, we're starting off by looking at what he did in Star Trek, which is very significant. So... It all starts with, really, Star Trek the motion picture, you know? And its success at the box office warranted a sequel, but the public's perception of that movie maybe did not. And the overwhelming uh, sort of train of thought was that if we do another Star Trek movie... It needs to be smaller. And so the studio decided to bring in Harv Bennett, who had produced a lot of television shows and and movies and uh, was very comfortable with working on a budget. You know, I mean, there's the whole famous meeting where they bring him in to the head of the studio and they say, you know, could you make a sequel for you know, whatever it was, $50 million or however much that movie cost, and he said something like, I could make four for that much money or something along those <laughs> lines, you know. So Star Trek Two was uh, basically his to figure out how to do. And uh, he figured it out. He figured out the right combination. It took a lot of trial and error, and there was a lot of stuff going on. And in the end, he got the right writers involved, and most importantly, he got Nick Meyer involved, and that's what they made. But, you know, before he did all that, he went back and he watched all of the episodes of the original series, and he picked out the key elements which he really responded to and the stuff that he wanted to do. And the the thing, the, the big creative decision which he made, the thing that really stuck out to him was the character of Khan. And he wanted to have Khan be the villain in this movie. And uh, that's what it was. So, John, now what do you think about... I mean, I guess we could say, what do you think about Star Trek Two in general? But uh, let's do that first, and then
1: we can go on to some specifics that, that he contributed to that movie. What do you think about Star Trek Two? Uh, I don't think that I could add anything to the conversation at this point, to be completely fair. Um, <laughs> Everybody loves it for a reason. Uh, You know, it's very easy to look back and be like, oh, well, you know, whichever movie in a series wasn't truly the best. But no, there's a reason why this is the one that everybody goes back to. This is um, this is sort of like from Russia with love for James Bond, where this is the one where and I forget the producer's name uh, from the James Bond series. But he said one time during an interview, we always try to make from Russia with love again. And somewhere along the way, we wind up making Thunderball. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I could remember his name, but broccoli? that is, no, it wasn't Broccoli. It was Saltzman. Okay. Was it Saltzman? Yeah, could be, yeah. Uh, but basically, that's the case. Everybody always talks about two when they're talking about a new Star Trek movie coming out. How many times did we hear the best villain since Khan, quote unquote? Um, mm-hmm. We didn't hear that with four, of course. But, you know, almost every movie that came out, Khan was used as a reference because that's the resonant trigger for everybody to say, "Oh, okay, I get it." Harv Bennett figured it out, knew what was going to be at the at a minimum the thing that the fans were going to respond to, and there you go. I mean star trek two is there there's a reason it's regarded as a masterpiece and you know a linchpin of the series, and it deserves it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, what you're saying is true. There there are numerous times where people have sort of used that as as a touchstone and I mean, you can see it. You can see it in um Nemesis. You can see it obviously in Into Darkness and and everything and um you can see it in other franchises as well. I mean, look at X2. That is totally Wrath of Khan. Undoubtedly. Yeah. And you hear people always say like, oh well, you know, this time we're gonna do this is gonna be our Wrath of Khan. Like they that was the plan when they did Superman Returns. Yep. And then they were like, oh, we're gonna do a sequel to Superman Returns, and they're like, it's gonna be kind of like Wrath of Khan. And it's like, oh, so kind of like X Two, which you guys all just did together too, <laughs> right? So <laughs> yeah. that's cool. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of amazing. Uh, and I think the reason why people fail is because they see that as sort of like a template when they shouldn't. You know, it's it's not like he was following a template. What he did was he saw something. He saw an idea in the original series and he saw a way to expand on it and make it something more. And look at where the franchise was at that point point. And what the issues were maybe behind the scenes in in terms of, you know, the cast dealing with aging and whatnot and bring that to the forefront of your movie and make it really about something special, which is something that, you know, Star Trek wasn't um, about in previous incarnations because it was in a different place, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. The, this one, I mean, maybe it was lightning in a bottle, I don't know. But whatever it was, it completely works. And, you know, like I was just telling you on the other side of the track, <laughs> but it's not a track. Anyway, um, you know, the, the reason why uh, we're recording this on Sunday instead of our usual Tuesday is because uh, I'm going to a screening of Wrath of Khan on uh, Tuesday night that a film critic is doing, and that is like the movie which is always shown because it's the movie which crosses barriers in terms of the film world, you know? This is the movie which Tarantino and Rodriguez cite as one of their major influences. You know, this is the movie which a couple years ago got a week-long run at the music box here in Chicago just because why wouldn't it, you know? And this is yeah. the movie that I've seen like s- literally seven or eight times in the theater. Even though, aside from first run, I've never seen another Star Trek movie in the theater, you know. And yeah. it's 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 just the one. It is the one. It's it's the best. It's not the best, but it's close to the best. I can see why everyone thinks it's the best, and uh, you you really can't top it in a lot of ways.
1: Very true. Very true.
0: Yeah. So. Star Trek 2, rousing success. Star Trek 3, a foregone conclusion. Harv Bennett, able to keep the budget down and, and turn out high quality work last time, is obviously hired to con- continue producing it, the franchise for number three. And. He has thrown a bit of a curveball in that uh, the character who he had to kill off in the last movie now needs to come back. And the director who he had found to uh, uh, create the last movie thinks that that's a terrible idea. And so he's not back. And so what do you do? Well, you, you write it yourself, I guess, yeah, which is I'm, what he did.
1: <laughs> if you can't get anybody else to do it, do it yourself. There you go. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, what do you think about um, Star Trek
1: Three? I think it's uh, been documented on previous episodes of uh, this series where I, can, uh, I don't like it. Um, I think that there are good aspects of it. I think that uh, Christopher Lloyd really brought it uh, for Krug. There are moments that are beautiful uh, that are, you know, even though it sounds sort of trite to say it, there are moments that are... Uh, so human that it really, you know, they they stand out. Where even though the movie as a whole, I feel, is not particularly good, there are moments in it that are some of the best character moments you're going to see in Star Trek. This is actually of the original cast movies. This is actually my least favorite, is 3. I I don't know whether it was inertia that carried it through, love from 2 that powered everybody past 3, but... Uh, I don't understand how this wasn't a, if not a series ender, how Bennett didn't wind up uh, canned after this one. Well, it was hugely successful, you know. Everyone wanted to see
0: Spock back, and, and in, in a way, I can see why that happened. Um, do you follow um, Andy, First Time Trek, on Twitter? I do. I don't know if you saw her uh she's into the movies now the original series movies yes. I don't know if you saw her tweets for Star Trek 2 and Star Trek
1: 3 I saw the ones for 2 I didn't see the ones for 3 She was very
0: excited about it you know and the whole time she was completely into it and at the end she's just like what a great movie anyone who thinks this movie uh, is isn't good. Come at me. I'm ready for a fight. You know, <laughs> I, I brought that up with her. Um, you know, and addressed some some concerns with, that I had with the movie. But you know, reading her tweets and sort of seeing it from that perspective made me remember like when I first watched that movie, and I, I felt the same way. And it really sort of crystallizes the way that I feel about that movie now, which is when I'm watching it. I'm really enjoying it, you know. If I look at it as its own thing, I'm totally there, you know. But it's when you put it into the the franchise on the whole that, for me, it falls apart. You know, it's when you stack it up next to Star Trek Two and you're like, "Oh, it undoes everything that Star Trek Two did." And then I'm like, "Uh, that's that's kind of annoying," you know. That that bums me out. Uh, but I still do think it is a good movie. I just think that it has a stupid
1: message. I I don't know. I mean, I just don't even when I'm in the moment with it. I mean, I will watch any start for me Star Trek is like pizza where even when it's bad I enjoy it. And this is like a uh, you know, a pizza from I don't know, Domino's as opposed to Papa John's where it's like, yeah, it's still pizza. Okay. But I really don't feel that it's cohesive. Like I I think you can very much my opinion of it, I guess is that you can tell that Nimoy is as a director finding his way as opposed to sure of himself. And so there are things that go too long and things that aren't that, that sort of peter out under their own power. Um, But again, there are, there are moments that are, that are great Um, that, you know, that, that really, you know, if I were to excise, Parts from the movie, I would probably be able to assemble almost an entire movie, but the ones that don't work for me are just significant enough that it just breaks apart the whole.
0: Could we just back up for a second there? Sure. You were like, pizza's pizza, pizza's great, Star Trek's great, but this is like Domino's instead of Papa John's. Yes. Okay, now... Here's my thinking when I'm listening to you. This is like Domino's, yes, yes, um, this is definitely Domino's compared to blank. And then you said Papa John's, which is like the one thing which is worse than Domino's. I mean, like, if, you know, to put it into normal Star Trek terms, like the not years, but let's just say everyone's, um, if... If Star Trek three is Domino's, which I think is an apt comparison, like Star Trek five would be Papa John's, okay. <laughs> no. Whereas like Star Trek two would be like, I, I mean, this is going to be a local example, but say Giordano's, you know, or or Pizanos or something like that. Are you that.
1: talking about that that awful Chicago pizza now? I, there's no, no such thing. Well, there is such thing as awful
0: Chicago pizza, but that's not that. But what? I mean, Papa
1: John's, <laughs> yep. that's the worst. It is not because they make this thin crust uh, spinach Alfredo pizza that is just the bomb. And it forgives all of their others, any other sin that they have, it forgives that. And their anchovies are really good.
0: Okay. Yeah. Spinach and anchovies are things that I would never put on a pizza. But I, I will, maybe I'll give their thin crust a shot. You know? Their thin crust
1: I, I like their thin crusts.
0: I I haven't had that. maybe, maybe you know, their traditional like hand tossed <laughs> is the worst thing I've ever had in my life. But Domino's, I, I mean yes, dominoes is sort of like, you know, the the you know, when you're when you're really slumming it, you know, you go with with the Domino's. but it still has its charm. It's like the McDonald's of pizza. You apparently know, I
1: apparently comparison. I've waded into just a terrible analogy there. Um, I'm just so. <laughs> saying there's some things
0: which are important, you know. I mean Star Trek is Star Trek, but pizza, come on. You know, so the
1: are... So long as we can all agree that Pizza Hut's awful. Can we all no, agree? No, see, on that? I like Pizza Hut. I'm that, the no one way. guy.
0: No. I love I mean, maybe it's just a thing with the childhood thing with the personal pan pizzas, like the book it program where <laughs> yep. it's like read seven books and get a personal pan pizza and then you grow up and you realize like today 30 years later, those personal pan pizzas cost $2.50. So back then, like, I probably had the change sitting in my room somewhere. I would have (laughs) never read anything, you know, (laughs) if I could do math. You know, (laughs) They should have a Math It program, you know, to to teach you how they're screwing you over in the Book It program. (laughs) But because of that, and also because of the breadsticks, I love Pizza Hut. I can never get it because my wife hates it, but yeah.
1: I have to think of a completely different analogy then, and that's just gonna that's just gonna take too long. So I stand by my dominoes and Pete. All right, uh, all right. We'll I, I, stand by
0: I understand what you're saying, even though I don't understand what you're saying. You know
1: what <laughs> I mean? Fair enough.
0: Okay. Um, but yes, no. Regardless of that, you know, every everyone else thought it was, you know, apparently like you know Lou Malnati's or something because it was very popular. <laughs> It was an extremely popular movie. In fact, it kind of breaks the even-odd rule because everyone loves this one. It's strange. Historically speaking, you know, we look back at it now and we think of it as one of the lesser movies, but back then it was a huge success, which is why they gave Nimoy number four as well, you know? And uh, with number four, it was an interesting case in that uh, I don't know what the reasoning behind it was, but Harv Bennett obviously again returned as producer, and uh, he was able to get um, Nicholas Meyer to come back to uh, write the screenplay. And there was a lot of turmoil in terms of the the script, which is very similar to what's going on now, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it, with where there was a writing team and the writing team of young young kids who hadn't really done anything before. That writing team, you know, was essentially uh, fired, and then uh, a new writing team was brought in, an established writing team, and that was Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer, and the way that they sort of broke up the duties was um, Harv Bennett wrote the 23rd century stuff, and Nicholas Meyer wrote the 20th century stuff.
1: Which is similar to... I, if I recall, it's a, a, another movie that he did. Like he, he said in an interview, he's like, I basically just reworked a script I'd already written <laughs> and it just made it go real quick.
0: Yes, ty- Time and Again, which... Uh, yeah, that's the one.
1: Which was the um,
0: uh, Jack the Ripper, H.G. Uh, Wells movie, where H.G. R- Wells travels through time to find Jack the Ripper. And it is San Francisco of, well, the present day at that time was the 70s, and there are certain gags which are lifted directly from that movie and, and put into it is. I mean, that would make a really good double feature. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I mean, and, I mean, he's completely aware of it, you know? He was even like, can we set this in, like, London or Paris? Because, <laughs> like, I did this already once in San Francisco, you know? So... <laughs> Yeah, But they're like, no, it's got to be San Francisco. So he's like,
1: okay, find and replace,
0: find and replace.
1: I I don't recall, uh, to tie it into, uh, uh, you know, our discussion of In Search Of with Nimoy, did they find out uh, who Jack the Ripper was? Was it the Loch Ness Monster?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I forget who they had. Um, I'm sorry, it's not time and again, it's time after time. Time after time. Um, I forget who they said uh, Jack the Ripper was in there. I think it was a fictional person, if I'm not mistaken. He was played by David Warner, and then H.G. Wells was played by Malcolm McDowell.
1: Wow, but, there's a Star Trek tie-in.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we've done an episode on Time After Time uh, way back when. It's there somewhere for people to find if, if they so choose. And I, I do recommend that movie. It is a very good movie, actually. So Mary McDonnell is in it, and it's cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so Bennett, you know, sort of assembled a, a really good team together to make this movie, which was very different. I mean, I think at this point, after two, you know, blockbuster hits, he had a little bit of free reign, and he's like, "Let's do something weird," you know, along with obviously Nimoy um, coming in and, and and having the same idea, and uh, the results were extremely uh, good. I, th- I personally think both um, creatively and definitely in terms of uh, money it was the most successful of all of the movies you know aside from one but that's kind of a weird lurking variable and all that stuff yeah um but yeah i mean my my thoughts on star trek 4 are um that it is very cool and very creative and and uh it's funny and it's it's a weird departure and it's kind of not very star trek it's very bizarre and everything but it to me, on the whole, it works. Uh, do I love it as much as I did when I first saw it? No. When I first saw it, this was my favorite of all of the original series movies by far. And the one that I you know, went back to uh, repeatedly. Um, but uh, I still do think it is quite good. Um, but, but not nearly one of the best. Well, what about you? What are your thoughts on Star Trek IV?
1: Eminently quotable. I agree that it's not a uh a true quote unquote star trek uh feel to it, but uh, there are so many great scenes i mean the the Spock being fish out of water um you know no pun intended uh but you know his his continuing struggle with uh how to curse through the movie is a great thread yeah. um and there are so many great scenes i mean you know who hasn't with their you know with their good friend you know, planning to go out to dinner. You know, do you like Italian? Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> I love Italian, and so do you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, everybody does that scene because it's a funny scene. It's a great scene. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's fun. It's it's definitely not one of the ones that I return to as frequently as um, two or six or even five. But, uh, you know, 4 is, it's fun. You know, I I wouldn't dissuade somebody from seeing it. My biggest problem with 4, actually, is the score. I dislike the music a great deal. And that is, if I watch it, I have to, like, go past the opening credits because I I can't stand that score. It's very difficult for me.
0: It's a weird score. I think it's, generally speaking, um, appropriate for the movie but it's not very star trekky. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I I don't know. It's 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 a strange it's a strange movie to sort of like wrap your your head around as far as Star Trek is concerned. But you know, the other thing is like for example, going to see this this Wrath of Khan screening. The reason why uh, they're doing it is because they want to do a tribute to Leonard Nimoy, which is very well deserved and everything like that. And while I think that uh, Wrath of Khan may be his most iconic and best performance and everything like that. I kind of wish that the movie that they would go to would be Star Trek IV, because you got the, the Nimoy performance, but you also get to see his work behind the camera. And I, I kind of wish that, you know, they'd step just a little bit outside of the box with some of these tributes and show that instead. But, sure. You know, what can you do? Um, Next up... After the huge success of Star Trek Four was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Now, here Bennett was placed in a teeny tiny bit of a bind in that he had to give Shatner the chance to direct. And Shatner was not exactly a proven director at this point in time, and Shatner obviously wanted creative input into the script as well. So Bennett um, and Shatner hired David Lowry to uh, write the screenplay, which was based on uh, a story by Shatner and Bennett and Lowry, and the results were um, interesting. <laughs> what do you think about Star Trek V?
1: Um, I encourage everyone to uh, go back through the uh, commentary Trek Stars catalog. And uh, here where I uh, endured a a wonderful horse whipping uh, at the hands of Max uh, for my love of Star Trek V. I won't recount the whole story, but I have a bizarre emotional attachment to this film. Uh, I probably have it memorized uh, as well as I have any Star Wars movie memorized. um, Because there was a period of my life where I fell asleep watching it repeatedly and you know it's it's like uh, Dr. Marvin Monroe's uh, language tapes eventually it just burrows into your brain, and um, I think that the themes in this are actually extremely enduring, and yes, while the movie is decidedly imperfect, that the uh, the message of the film is one that I think should be revisited um, by the very sensitive uh, sensibilities of today, uh, of pain is a part of life. You're going to have to deal with it. There's nothing that's going to get rid of it. And, you know, I, I think that Bennett actually said in a retrospective interview, he said, you know, I I think he admitted that he understands why people sort of beat up on it, but he's like, you know, this is actually, I think it's got a good message to it. And I think that it it stands up, especially when you look at, how obsessed we are with the, the self-help stuff still with, you know, Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and all of those people that are giving us advice that supposedly is going to make it so that life is pain-free. They're modern-day Cybox. So I'll defend this movie to my dying day.
0: Okay. You know, I I uh, think it's a good movie. I like all of the Star Trek movies, you know, and I don't say that as in, like, I like all of pizza kind of thing. I mean, I, mean, I actually think that they're all good to some degree or another, you know, but uh, this one, I think, is definitely one of the weakest, and the problems that I have with it are really more along the, the lines of execution as opposed to uh, conceptual... Uh, sure. I think that that there were a lot of interesting ideas that they had thrown out to to do here, and they just weren't able to follow through on them. And I don't exactly know where the the fault with that lies. Some of it is um, budgetary, some of it is I think lack of experience. Uh, some of it is the fact that you know you had opposing forces uh, which wanted to pull the movie in different directions, and you know when they went in, uh, you know contrast of each other, then, you know, what do you get? So with all that, you know, sort of taken into account, I mean, this movie uh, fails on a lot of levels, but I think it succeeds on on some. Uh,
1: You know, I I don't know specifically how Bennett's job, or, you know, I've never been a producer, and I, I don't know the role particularly well, but if there were budgetary concerns, doesn't that wind up laying at his feet? Wouldn't that be his fault that Shatner found his budget cut while he was going along and those sorts of things? Like, was it that Bennett didn't, main, you know, didn't maintain the, the funding properly from the brass? And shouldn't they have had the sway at that point that when they asked to, OK, well, we're, we're overspending, so let's cut some of this budget. Shouldn't Bennett have been able to say, we gave you some mega hits here? No we're We're holding the line, and you're gonna make his rock monster that sort of thing,
0: yeah, you would think i mean it, that's quite possible, you know maybe maybe some of the fault does lie with Bennett I mean it's hard to tell you know without knowing the behind the scenes story, but it's quite quite possible that that's the case, you know, and I think maybe because of that failure, the uh um assurance of of another movie was not necessarily in the bag when it came to uh, the sixth Star Trek film. And uh, now this is kind of interesting, and and, I mean some stuff that we learned when we were doing our Harv Bennett retrospective with John Tenuto over on Standard Orbit a few months back, but apparently there was an idea to do not, not... just one, but two movies for the 25th anniversary. There was going to be a Star Trek VI similar to the one which we got with the original series cast and crew, but then there was also going to be a Starfleet Academy type of movie which would show the origins of these characters um, and potentially, I'm guessing, uh, spin off into, you know, younger younger stories with you know this younger crew. And uh this was the one that Bennett was developing along with David Lowry, the writer of of number five and also the writer of um such amazing movies, and I am not exaggerating when I say that, uh as Lakeview Terrace, uh obsessed, nurse three D uh, he's kind of awesome. I love him to death, and I hope one day to do a series on him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he had written the script, which, you know, there have been some stories about it which have leaked, you know, people who have read it who have written up sort of synopses and stuff like that. And it's very similar to what we got with Star Trek 09 on yep. a lot of levels. It is. Um they even had some casting. I don't know. They, they hadn't cast the roles, but he had people in mind to, yeah. to portray these characters. Uh, Ethan Hawke. As young Kirk. As young Kirk. Yep. And John Cusack as young Spock.
1: Which would have been an interesting call. But it would have been an I, interesting call. I could see it work if they were emphasizing Spock as not yet in control of his emotions. Like, if they were emphasizing the more human aspects of Spock, I could definitely see Cusack playing really well.
0: It's weird. I mean, because part of it is, you know, you, you really do got to place it in the proper um, time period. This would be pre-before-sunrise Hawk and pre-say-anything
1: Cusack. We could have prevented say-anything if John Cusack had played Spock.
0: You don't like say-anything?
1: I, no, I... I... It's a cheap shot i'm so, i like every other person who hates admitting that he has emotions, I love to take cheap shots at say anything okay but i, I love
0: say anything with every fiber of my being i that movie's I, amazing. I just
1: love taking cheap shots at it i can 't help it i it's it i'm cuddly inside, but I like to maintain a uh, gruff exterior fair enough, fair enough, when it comes to
0: say anything and my love for that movie i 'm up there with like a uh a boombox standing, <laughs> you know, professing my love uh, for say anything. Uh, and all Cameron Crowe movies, really, for the most part, whatever. Fair Maybe enough. not We Bought a Zoo or something like that. but you
1: know. <laughs> Well, they spoiled everything just with a title.
0: <laughs> this is true. This is true. He's got a new movie coming out uh, this month, uh, which I'm quite excited about. So, yeah. Anyway. Um it would have been an interesting movie and you know it was kind of ahead of its time in its thinking where they were doing they were planning on doing like essentially a Star Trek cinematic universe let's have two of these storylines yeah. going at the same time with the you know same characters but at different points in their life is crazy to think that we could have had two Star Trek movies in one year that would have been awesome I and mean, why don't they do that now that uh, i mean everyone's trying to do their cinematic universe There's going to be a 21 Jump Street cinematic universe now. Which is a terrifying thought. And yet awesome, by the way. I don't know if you've seen (laughs) those
1: movies. (laughs) I haven't, but it's just, you know, not everything needs to be a cinematic universe is all I'm going to say.
0: Not everything needs to be a cinematic universe, and the idea of a 21 Jump Street cinematic universe is crazy until you see 21 Jump Street, and then you go, yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense. <laughs> like, do yourself a favor and watch All those right. two movies. Especially, I mean, the first one's really good, really solid and everything. The second one, they just go insane. And I think <laughs> you'll funny. really appreciate sort of the uh, the metatextual nature of that movie. And, you know, their plans for the third one are to do like a Men in Black, like, spin-off? I don't know what it would be. Interesting. Um, and it's, it's like, yes, that's exactly what you should do. Men in Black is the only thing that you can do for 23 Jump Street, you know? So go go do it, guys. Check those out. They're great. From the director of the Lego movie, or the directors of the Lego
1: movies. So. Oh, see, that's all you had to say. Now I'll go see them. Yeah, yeah. All right, sure. Excellent, cool. No problem.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, yes, so with all that happening, with, you know, 21 Jump Street, I mean, who, okay. I mean, let's just think about that. Because it actually does fit into the same continuity as the show and everything. If you okay. were to say, like, five years ago, you know, when Marvel was starting up this whole thing, you know, which television series which exist are going to get cinematic universes? And you were to say, 21 Jump Street is, but Star Trek is not.
1: I mean, come on. Your brain would melt. Yeah. You would say, "What? what? What's happening? As it's a matter a- of fact, yeah, why aren't they even talking? Like... Seriously, the the time is right for them to bring back a TV show that ties into the movie series. You bring back a
0: TV show which ties into the movie series. You start spinning off other yeah. movies. You know why not? It makes perfect sense. And Good you know, grief by by no means the first people to say this. You know, I mean, yeah. I think there was even an article in the Hollywood Reporter or something like that. But yeah, it's just common sense. They're doing a Transformers cinematic universe. Do a Star Trek one. on, that
1: I have seen, and that I can say is a terrifying thought. (laughs) I'm okay with it. You never know. I am not. I will never be okay with the Transformers as they are currently envisioned. I I, I think those movies are decent. You know, whatever. They are not. They are (laughs) terrible. But a Star Trek cinematic universe makes sense, and there are so many outlets now. Why on earth would they not pursue it? I don't know.
0: But Harv Bennett is saying the same thing and yeah. up in the great beyond or whatever. um, Because he had that idea back in the day and, you know, way ahead of the game. And uh, that's kind of how he was with all of Star Trek, you know? He figured it out. He totally hacked yeah. that Gibson. He knew exactly what it was to make Star Trek good and to, you know, sort of maintain the integrity of what had come before and just build on top of that. Well, except for Star Trek three, I guess. But, yeah. you know, um, on the whole, I mean, God, you know, can you imagine what Star
1: Trek would look like today without him? If no, we were... I, he, li- he literally kept it alive. Yeah. He kept Star Trek relevant. Yeah. And uh, more so than... I, Next Generation doesn't happen without Harv Bennett because without the success of the film series, that show doesn't get greenlit. Yeah, Paramount doesn't say, oh, wait, we've got, a, we've got an opportunity here. Like, that... Harve Bennett led to every, you know, and Next Generation leads to Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and, you know, eventually Enterprise. And so there you go. I mean, you know, he made it all possible.
0: Yep, for sure. For sure. And that's why, you know, we're, we're doing this series on him. And, and we're going to take a look at, you know, some of the other stuff that he did because it is kind of a weird case. And this is something which he did do occasionally where, like, he was... He was a contemporary of Roddenberry's, you know, and they were both doing things. In some ways, they were competitors. And, you know, he was handed Roddenberry's franchise, and this is what he did with it. But let's go take a look at some of his own franchises and see what he did with those things. Yeah. And and that's what we're doing. So we're going to look at um, all of the shows that he created, which include The Mod Squad, The Invisible Man, Time Tracks. Invasion America, and uh, that's it. then we'll do a recap so So those four shows and uh it's it's exciting it's It spans a, a good range of time and uh it it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, what those shows have to offer so before we go uh just before we started recording this, we uh, found out that Grace Lee Whitney passed away. Of course, she played Janice Rand on the original series and in some of the movies, and even on Voyager, she reprised her role uh, of Janice Rand. You know, always kind of an unfortunate story in that Janice Rand was so cool in those early episodes of the show and, and really brought so much to it, and because of who knows what, she was, uh you know, fired from the show, and... That's, you know, a definite missed opportunity, but she had quite a, a long career, you know, a lot of stuff in television, a lot of movies. She was in uh, a couple of Billy Wilder movies, you know, Some Like It Hot, Irma LaDuce, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much every TV show you can imagine from, you know, the 60s on up, including like Gunsmoke and, you know, uh, Outer Limits and, and all those things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, quite a good actress and she should be like, she should be considered one of the, well, eight, you know, the, the eight cast members from the original series instead of the seven. But, but she's not because she was only in eight episodes. That's unfortunate.
1: It is. And, but she also, uh, you know, as unfortunate as it is, seeing her when she did appear uh, in the films later was always, it it was always sort of a, uh, a a great emotional win to see her again, Mm -hmm. you know, like that, those, those moments always stood out as, Oh, there she is. You know, like that, those were some of the best uh, callback moments for fans, in my opinion, uh, to, to sneak in there. And uh, I was always happy when she, when she could make those appearances.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and the fact that that even though she was only in those few episodes and, and we're still talking about her today, uh really says something about her performance and, and that character. Agreed. And I really I really do hope I swear to God, you know, they that this next show needs to be an Excelsior show and they need to have Janice Rand in it, you know? Uh I mean how could
1: you Yeah, you have to. It would be yeah. the best. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know? So so yeah. Sad news, but, you know, we, we felt we needed to mention it. So, you know, Grace Lee Whitney, you know, go watch uh, some of those those original episodes and and uh, see how great she was. Yeah. So, all right. Well, it's been fun talking about Harv Bennett today, but that's not all we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a taste of what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And I think it was a very anticlimactic thing for a lot of people because they were expecting me to to do, you know, my mrah and ranting thing. But instead I just was like, oh, that's depressing. Okay, bye. Earl Grey. They've now shifted into the... Biff controlled 1985. Who got a hold of the Almanac in order to turn yesterday's Enterprise? The Enterprise C is the DeLorean in this scenario. The Orb.
0: I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see. Oh my gosh. I can see bankers. drones. Yeah, yeah.
1: The The world's strictest
0: (laughs) bank ever. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be (laughs) assimilated.
1: The nanites go into you. (laughs) Yes. To the journey. I I, kind of want something with a little bit more teeth. For some reason, like like starting a garden just doesn't scream mirror universe to me. (laughs) Starting a garden doesn't have teeth. (laughs) The ready room. I hate to put it this way, but maybe in, in some strange... Twisted logical sense. If Archer just kind of flew on by and didn't help the colonists, the Enterprise D would have never crash landed on Veridian. So it's not Troy's fault. It's Captain Archer's fault. Literary treks.
0: This is this is something that doesn't get done a lot in books because I don't think the time period supposed to be that long mm-hmm. but what did you end up thinking about having a story take place before where no man's gone before well I thought personally that it was really cool the 602 club my two favorite scenes in the film are Cap saying language <laughs> and then the rest of what the jokes that go with that and then Cap moving the hammer Just enough,
1: then Thor's face, when he can't pick it up, is priceless. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit Trek.fm to get all the links. We have a message, another message from Brad, uh, who emailed us about Mission Impossible a few weeks ago. He says, "Guys, thanks for the insight on my message. I have seen the Martin Landau as Spock thing in more than one location, which is why I pointed it out. Um, yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't necessarily uh, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm just saying I'm skeptical, yeah, but <laughs> I'll have to research it. John, I would be honored to hang out with you. If I were closer to Chicago, I'd hang out with Max and Mike too. I grew up downstate in charleston and in fact my best friend from childhood teaches at hinsdale central and lives in bowling i oh,
1: know cool. where
0: hinsdale is that's cool by the way midnight run could well be my favorite de niro film and a robot designed to infuriate have you been talking to my wife
1: kidding <laughs> he says uh midnight run is a good pick too that is a very funny movie
0: I, I haven't seen Midnight Run. What? Are, you're kidding me. No, there's a lot of gaps in my movie. Watching. I just, I
1: just, uh, I hung out with my brother, and out of left field, we both started quoting Midnight Run, uh, <laughs> just for no reason. And it, it you have to see it. It's a it, great film.
0: I'll watch it. I'll watch it. There's tons of movies that I have to see, you know, but uh, one day, one day, I will get around to it. But uh, thanks for for the email, Brad. We really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah. I'll check out Midnight Run, you know? Yeah. For sure. And
1: uh, just let me know a good time to meet up, and uh, we can go out to lunch, man. Sure thing.
0: If you'd like to send us an email or, or any other feedback or whatever, you can find the form on the website uh, at truck.fm, or you can email us directly at comtrackstars at com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at comtrackstars, or you can find us on Facebook at the Babel Conference where we uh, talk about all things Star Trek with uh, various other listeners and and whatnot. Uh, You could also leave us a review on iTunes if you wanted to. Uh, Apparently that helps us out greatly or, you know, just give us a little rating. It doesn't have to be five stars. It can be whatever you think we are deserving of.
1: It should be five stars.
0: (laughs) I'm going to say three and a half.
1: No, five. (laughs) Only five. So, John, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, you can find me lurking around Twitter at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, and you can also find me on a little weekly podcast called Words with Nerds that uh, airs every Thursday and uh, uh, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, usual channels.
0: Yeah, You can find me right here on the network doing Standard Orbit with Drew, and you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary track stars off-topic and commentary track star babies, and you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring commentary Trek stars to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books, like Prime Directive and Federation, Audible has something for everyone. I was just telling John that I'm going to use Audible to get the new Star Wars book, Lords of the Sith, which you highly just recommended. Read.
1: Highly recommended.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it for sure. I, I, I ever since I heard about it, I'm like, is this going to be like sort of a, um, a a buddy story? You know, like Darth Vader and and Emperor running around, getting to into call, trouble.
1: To call back to the email, it's sort of like Midnight Run.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com/trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's Trek trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary Trek Stars and Trek FM. And lastly, uh, there's one more way that you can directly help us keep commentary Trek stars coming to you each week, and that's by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm, and you can sign up today and become a, a donor. And it's kind of like Kickstarter, but on a monthly basis, so if you have a, a dollar or two that uh, you'd be willing to spare... We'd greatly appreciate it. Alright, so that's it for Harv Bennett's work on Star Trek, and next week we will begin our look at his work outside of Star Trek with a show called The Mod Squad.